And we do things a little bit differently here at Heights. If you've never been here before, one of the things that is our commitment is we go through the scriptures every five years together as a congregation. And so if you want to, if you're new here, this is your first time here, you can stop by the information desk. We have a little chart of the scriptures that we go through. We read them together as a congregation six days a week. Um, And you can read them at home on your own, looking at that schedule. You can go to our YouTube channel where we have devotionals that read all the scripture and kind of give you a little devotional bite-sized chunk to kind of take with you during the day. Uh, You can find us at youtube.com backslash Heights Christian Church. Just click the subscribe and bell for notifications and you'll get those devotionals. And they're about 10 minutes long or so, but help you along the day. And then what we do at the end of the week or the beginning of the week, which is Sunday, we we come back together again and we break down the scriptures that we've read in part or in whole to help us grow grow closer to to our knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So that's what we do. And we really encourage you to partake with us because they can help out with a lot of misunderstandings concerning scripture, especially with where we're going right now in the scriptures. You know, we have been in the latter part of Exodus uh, for a few weeks now, and we're finishing up Exodus today. Uh, Exodus 35 through 40. Now, if you guys read 35 through 40, we, we were looking at the construction of the tabernacle. So a few weeks ago, we had the blueprints of the tabernacle, and now we have the construction. For those of you who are reading through, it's like, isn't this kind of all the same thing that I just read a couple weeks ago? And the answer is, yes, it is. You know, it, it really is. You were reading kind of the same thing over again, except the difference being that before it was conceptual, God was bringing the blueprints for, you, for the people of Israel, and now they're actually building the tabernacle. We've gone from the blueprint phase to the building phase, right? And that's what we're seeing in these passages of Scripture. And so today's sermon is titled, A New Way to Worship. Now, when I wrote that title, I thought this, this was a great title at the time. And then I thought, man, if that's put on the sign and people driving down the road saw a new way to worship, what are they coming in here expecting, right? That, that just kind of opens up a whole Pandora's box of, oh my goodness, this might be a church I could go to. Who knows? Maybe they play video games while they worship. I don't know, right? Kind of just opens the door to anything and everything. Not quite. But this is the idea that we're changing, or at least the people of Israel are changing the way that they worship. And, and I know that that's kind of a, a hard thing to imagine. So let's, I want to kind of put this in context in our own lives first, if this, something similar were to happen to us, and then kind of go through the scripture because we actually see this going to take place. We see kind of five phases of change that happens throughout the scripture that the reading that we did this week, chapters 35 through 40, represent one of those changes. How many of you read this week? Raise your hand. All right, sweet. Look at that. That's awesome. All right. So, let's say this. Pretend somebody came to our elder board and said, you know what? I believe God has, has a purpose for this church, and I want to make sure that the church has a place to worship for all time. And so what I would like to do is 
give you your heart's desire. I'm going to give you $10 million. And you can build the church of your dreams with that, with whatever it is that you would like to do. Would we be excited about something like that? I think to a certain extent there would be some excitement, right? That would be totally awesome. We might get a brand new spanking sanctuary, and then we might plan on saying, well, we can expand our children's ministry, and we can have a little place where the the kids gather like they do at some of the big churches, and then break out into their rooms, and we could change everything up. We have all of these ideas that we might do, and none of them are necessarily bad. Like I said, we, we talk about the extravagance of God in this. But it would represent an incredible change in the way that we worship. All the technology we had to learn, all the different things that we would want to try that we had never done before that would become part of our new quote-unquote routine, right, on how we're worshiping God. Not bad, not unbiblical. We're not talking about doing any health and wealth gospel or anything that's unbiblical, but we would change things. It would just be a natural shift. It would be as natural a shift as what happened back in 2020 when we were all told we can't meet together and we ended up meeting in our small groups for our worship time with Sam doing a pre-recorded service with his his, um, worship that we all watched on YouTube. How many of you remember that? A few of us do. I do. Sitting in homes, just five of us, together worshiping God. And it represented a tremendous change. Both of those, both good and bad changes, right? Neither one of them were non-worshipful. Both of them impacted greatly our worship. This is what's happening to the people of Israel. The people of Israel, from the time that Adam and Eve sinned and they were kicked out of the garden, we see Cain and Abel offering sacrifice to God. But this type of sacrifice was not given very often. As a matter of fact, there are about seven to ten instances of sacrifice throughout the book of Genesis and into the book of Exodus up until this point. And most of them are some sort of commemoration to God because he has brought them from one place to another or he's done something amazing for them or he revealed himself like to Jacob in a dream. Oh, surely God was here and I did not know it. And he builds an altar in that place as a memorial for God and his presentation to him. So it would be kind of a memorial. When I come back to this place, I remember what God did here. This is what we see up until this point. And we have to understand that when we look at Genesis from the time of the kicking out of the garden to the time of Moses... Because it's such a small period of, uh, small reading in our Bibles, right? It's, all, it's only from Genesis chapter 1 to Exodus, you know, here we are toward the end of Exodus right here. It's the very front portion of this right now. And sometimes the scope of time eludes us. This personal type of worship that they had done kind of intermittently, 
Because we don't see it on a, on a constant basis. We don't see sacrifice on a continual type of, of basis. We see sacrifice happen or altars being built to God only on these huge occasions that happen. I'm not saying they don't happen outside of that, but we don't have any recordings of that. We have just about seven to ten, and that's about it. Great things that have happened. And this was the way of worship for the people of Israel, or for the patriarchs, for the people of God, before the patriarchs, up until Moses, this represents about 2,500 years period of time. Think about that for just a moment. That's longer than the distance between us and Christ and his time here on earth. And they have worshipped that personal same way this entirety of time. And now God has revealed himself. Ooh, my voice cracked. You guys heard that, right? That was like prepubescent right there. God has revealed himself to the people of Israel now in a new way that he has delivered them. He has taken them out of Egypt as their deliverer. He has set them apart as holy and said, I have chosen you to be my holy people. And in doing so, he's creating a different type of worship based upon a covenant, an agreement. So it's not the same thing as he gave Abraham. Abraham is given a promise Now he's moving to this place where he is providing a covenantal agreement with the people of God, and they're going to worship him in this prescribed way. And it's different. It's not that they can't still build altars, because we've already read in the scriptures before, they can still build these personal altars, but how they're going to worship in community is totally different. And one of the things that that tells you that it's different are some of the instruments of worship that God prescribes. Let's take a look real quick. Exodus chapter 38. First seven verses. They built the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood, three cubits high. It was square, five cubits long, and five cubits wide. They made a horn at each of its four corners so that the horns and the altar were of one piece. And they overlaid the altar with bronze, and they made all its utensils of bronze, its pots, shovels, sprinkling bowls, meat forks, and fire pans. And they made a grating for the altar, a bronze network to be under its ledge halfway up the altar. They cast bronze rings to hold the poles for the four corners of the bronze grating. They made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. They inserted the poles into the rings so that they would be on the sides of the altar for carrying it. They made it hollow out of boards. This might seem like just a piece of furniture, right? For within the the use of the tabernacle. But it represents something that was going to change fundamentally 
for the people of Israel as they continued to worship God. Because up until this point, while there were burnt offerings that were given, they were given as a free will, as an offering of sacrifice to the Lord when God had delivered them. We, we can see Noah doing this. We can see Abel and Cain doing this, although Cain's offering wasn't accepted. We can see different places in the scripture where we see a little bit of this happening, but it's not prescribed by God to do it. In other words, he didn't demand that Noah do this. He didn't demand that Cain and Abel do this, though it was accepted by him. Here, we're seeing a movement that sacrifice for remission of sins is going to be necessary for the people of Israel. This is something they've never done before. Everything's been free will. Everything's been on our own. We did this out of the joy of our heart. Now God is saying, no, this is what you will do as a community. This is a huge difference. Not just when you want to do it, you're going to do it at the prescribed times that I tell you to do it. That's a huge difference. Up until this point, they haven't had a place to worship God. There's been nothing to worship God. It's known that God has blessed and done these things. And now we're building a tabernacle, a place of communion with God where his presence shall be among his people. And he commissions people to make it. As a matter of fact, that's part of the instructions that we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? That these are all the instructions of God. This is how you're going to do it. And how you're going to do it is I want a tent made for me, a tabernacle made for me. And this is how you're going to worship me. You've got to think about this. 2,500 years, this is not how the people of God who have wanted to worship God, this has nothing to do with how they've worshipped before. We are looking at a wholesale change of everything. And he's appointing priests and a high priest. And for what reason? So that they might be consecrated, so that they might be set apart for the ministry that God's called them to, so they might intercede for the people, for the forgiveness of sins. This is so different. They never had this before. Can you imagine? That's a, that's a monumental change. So that's one of the things I want you guys to notice, because sometimes we just overlook these little details, right? Because we're reading this like, didn't I just read this? Yeah, you did, but, but did you catch the significance of it? It's like when we have the blueprints for a new church, and then you groundbreak, and then you're in the new church, and all of a sudden it hits you. We're not going back, Right? We're not doing things the way we did them before. We're here and this is what's going on now. And it's different. So that's something that I believe kind of stands out. The other thing that stands out in the middle of all of this is um, what God has done. Right? In the middle of all of this. So if we look at Exodus chapter 36... We see some, in my opinion, 
I actually, go back to 35. I'm sorry. Exodus 35, into 35, into 36. So into 35, starting in verse 30. We see God doing something amazing among his instruction to his people. Okay? So Exodus 35, starting in verse 30, it says, Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezial, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for the work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Hashemash, the, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all the kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiders in blue and purple, scarlet yarn, and in fine linen, and weavers, all of them master craftsmen and designers." So Beaziel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of the constructing of the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord commanded. So here's the other thing. Remember, Moses had been given these instructions by God, that this is going to be the new way in which we're going to worship. You're going to build for me this tabernacle. And not only that, the blueprints are of God, and he's like, don't mess them up. Or, or as God put it, it's to be built exactly as I have shown you on the mountain. Let me tell you something. All you wonderful, skilled people, You may be skilled, but you're not exact. And God is exact. And what I love about this passage of Scripture is that God has given them an impossible task. Because look, God has given you a blueprint. And he says, build it exactly. And if you have a heart for God, you want to honor God with all of your being, you know what the first thing you're thinking? I don't want to do this. I might mess it up. How many of you feel that way? Come on. I want to <laughs> forget it, God. You know, I, I've, you've given me these commands. I don't want to mess it up. And I love what he does as he says, I have given Bezial and Aholiab the spirit of God to be able to do these things and to teach others that they can do these things. In other words, no, they haven't got it. Yeah. They're skilled people, but I have given them my spirit. So they can do exactly what I have tasked them to do. I think we overlook that, right? Here's a new way of worship. How do we know we're doing it right? Because the spirit of God has empowered them to do it. That's the reason why. And so we see all of these things being made, right? We see the tabernacle, we see the the Ark of the Covenant, we see the most holy place and the holy place and all the the table with the presence of the bread. We see the, the candle and the altar and we see all of it done. And we see the priest's garments made exactly so that they will be ready to minister as God has prescribed them to do. 
And we come to chapter 40, and it's Moses who makes all the preparations after they've constructed everything. They put up the tent, and he makes the first sacrifice. And I love how this whole section of Scripture ends as this new way of worship is instituted among the people. So turn with me to the very end of this passage in chapter 40. Verse 33, it says, Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. It's up. The sacrifice has been made. We are ready to institute this new way of worshiping God that he has prescribed, that he has empowered his people to do. And it says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But the cloud did not lift. They did not set out until the day it was lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day. And fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all of their travels. They built the tabernacle. They made the sacrifice. They got everything ready as God had prescribed. And then God showed up and filled that place with the glory that only he can do. And that he would be with them among their travels. As a matter of fact, not just that. He is with them, basically telling them when to stay and when to go. When the cloud lifted, it's like, we can go. And when the cloud remained, they stayed. God was literally leading them in their travels, what they were doing, because of this new way of worship. How crazy is that? What a way to start things off, right? Right? Not only do they get to see the glory of God, they get to see God personally leading them as a community together. Why would they give up this type of worship? Like, dude, we never saw anything like this before. They got to see all the plagues in Egypt as he decimated the other gods and left them alone. But now he is actually leading these people. And all the people can see it. A visible manifestation of the presence of God, this glory of God. 1.5, 2.5 million people, and they see it on a daily basis for 40 years. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty awesome if you ask me. Don't you guys think? You, You talk about a seal of approval. We've done what you want, God. God shows up, boom, right there. And we see an institution in a very real way, of this covenantal relationship between the people of Israel and God. And again, it's different. It's different than what they've done before. It's not just a personal relationship. They still have that. But now we have a corporate way in which we are communing with God together that we have a visible way in seeing that God is with us. And when we think about what happens in the future... 
Because we talk about the new covenant, right? That the old covenant has passed away or has been fulfilled is really a better way of thinking about it. Because all of the things that are happening in this old covenant are really a pointing to the ultimate fulfillment of that covenant and a movement into a new covenant relationship, which is where we're at right now. Because obviously, guess what we're not doing? There are no altars up here for sacrifice, right? It's not part of our daily, weekly, or lifetime routine as believers in Christ. Something changed. And what's interesting is how significantly similar those changes were to the changes that we're reading here in these six chapters. For example, when you think about it, when John proclaims about Jesus coming there, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is sacrificial language, by the way. This is talking about the ultimate sacrifice, that all sacrifices ultimately point toward the resolution of sin to be taken by Jesus That he's the fulfillment of this once and for all. And so when Jesus died on the cross, what happened? We see the temple inside the temple, inside the uh, most holy place. That curtain is ripped totally in two. God is doing something new, right? He is done with this old covenant This old covenant that was there for the people of Israel that they had walked in since the time of Moses, that's 1,500 years. So we have 2,500 years of worshiping one way, 1,500 years of worshiping another way, and God makes another instituted change of how people are going to worship. As a matter of fact, with the woman at the well, Jesus gives a hint that things are about to change because it's no longer going to be a location by which we look for the presence of God. Let's take a look in uh, John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 19, because Jesus starts talking to this woman, and, and she's at the well, and things are going well, and they're starting to talk about things, and then he asks about her personal life, and she says she doesn't have a husband, and she says, yeah, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your wife, and she's like, let's change the subject, okay? Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Just to give you context for those that don't know, we have gone from tabernacle to temple, but it's the same type of worship, and it's established in the city of David, and this is where God has prescribed the people to come together for this communal worship. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Did you notice the change? It went from a location, which is a prescribed place that God said, you're going to do this, right? 
You're going to do this in my temple or in my tabernacle, right? You're going to bring these prescribed sin offerings so that we might have communion. I might forgive you of your sin. But when Jesus comes, he fulfills that old covenant and creates a new covenant. That the forgiveness of sin is now completed with his death upon the cross. And that happens and when it does, the temple curtain is rent in two as God's testimony that this time is now over. And now we're going to worship differently. In spirit and in truth. And so what does he tell the disciples? What are they supposed to be doing? They're supposed to wait in Jerusalem until the gift of the Holy Spirit comes. They have the Holy Spirit, but there's a, there's a filling of the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry that God is calling them to do. And so what happens in Acts chapter 2? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We see something very similar to what we see at the end of Exodus 40, don't we? Exodus 40, 40, the glory of God fills the tabernacle in such a way that Moses can't even go in to minister because the glory of God is there. And it's an amazing confirmation that this is God's will for the people for worship going forward. But with the death of Jesus, we see the ending of that covenantal relationship and the beginning of a new covenantal relationship. For those who believe in Christ, who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died, he rose again for our sins, the ultimate sacrifice. Now we see that separation from that old way and a movement toward a new way that Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. No longer is it going to be a place. It's not going to be the tabernacle anymore. It's not going to be the temple anymore. It's going to be you worshiping in spirit and truth. And it's confirmed by the coming of the Holy Spirit in much the same way as the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Spirit comes in and fills the people. And guess what? Things like tongues of fire are on top of them. This is not by accident. God is instituting a new way in which to worship him. A prescribed way in which we are to worship him. And to walk in faith in Jesus Christ. Like I said, that's why we don't offer sacrifices here. He is a sacrifice. That's why we celebrate communion. That's different. It's a totally different thing. It's why we do baptisms for people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. It's a totally different thing. Why? Because it has to do with the object of worship. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, it was to point to the one who was to come. And when he has come and fulfilled those things, it changes necessarily. And we worship differently. There's no need to sacrifice anymore. Jesus has come. But you know what we do? We remember that sacrifice. We do. We come together, we remember that sacrifice. 
and the institutions of these sacraments are all to point back to how Jesus has changed the way that we worship because he has forgiven us and it's no longer a place, it's a people who together come together as God has prescribed. God said we still need to meet together, but it's no longer needed in a place, in a specific place is all that he means. You get a lot of people together, we have to meet someplace, right? You know what? It'd be really weird to say, hey, let's all get together and meet no place. That'd be kind of hard to do, right? Let's glory and worship God together by meeting no place. That doesn't, that doesn't work. And it's not what Jesus has asked us to do. We are called to be in community together, but it's no longer saying you must be in Albuquerque facing north and, you know, at a 20-degree angle. You don't have to do that. This is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking to the woman at the well. It's no longer at this mountain that you worship. It's no longer in Jerusalem where the temple was because it was a prescribed way of worship to point to Jesus. And now that he has been revealed, that is no longer needed. It changes. And see, it's going to change again. You know why? Because someday you and I are going to die or Jesus is going to come back. Every generation thinks it's their generation. <laughs> things are so bad, Jesus. Yeah, things have always been bad. You know why? We live in a sinful, fallen, terrible world. And I think as we get older, we just realize how sinful, fallen, and terrible it really is. We thought it was better when we were younger. And we got older and it's like, dang, this place is messed up. Oh my goodness, Calgon, take me away. Jesus, take me away. How many of you feel like that, right? Right? Seriously? Like, come Lord Jesus, come. That's what they're saying at the end, right? Come Lord Jesus, come. But when he comes, guess what happens? Everything changes again. Because here we have a mission, and our mission is this. We are called to worship God. And how are we to worship God? By making disciples. Because that's the commission we've been given. See, this was their commission. Their commission was to build a building so that they might have this prescribed way of worship. They might learn how to live in community together. They might recognize the coming of the Messiah. We have that coming already known to us. Our mission is different. Jesus has said now, therefore, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. That's your and not my commission in as much as it was Beaziel's and Aholiab's commission to make the tabernacle as much as it was Moses' commission to lead the people of Israel to follow God in this prescribed way so that Jesus eventually would be revealed. Everything changed with the coming of Jesus and with his second coming, everything will change again. We won't be getting into churches in heaven. Think about that seriously. We read in Revelation, now the place of God is with man. And there is no temple there. For God dwells among his people. Forever. And there's no need for sun or moon. Because the glory of God and the light of God is where? There. All the time. It's going to change again. You guys recognize that. 
that the way in which we worship God now is going to necessarily change when we get to heaven. We will be celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus forever, but we will be celebrating it differently in heaven than we are here. Have you guys ever thought about that? Well, if you haven't, you are now, right? And see, that's, that's the whole thing. We read these passages of Scripture and we think, man, this is dry just reading stuff. But when you really realize what's happening according to the change that's being made, 2,500 years of worshiping one way and God is instituting something else and he shows himself there by the glory of God and his glory is among the people. And you realize that he's changed it once again with the coming of Jesus and the glory of God is there because among the people we see the glory of God resting upon individuals instead of places and Jesus says it's no longer a place. It's people worshiping in spirit and truth. And how are they going to worship God? Because they're going to go out and they're going to make disciples of all nations. They're going to tell everybody about me. You know why? Because God died and sent Jesus to die for every single person. And he wishes nobody to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. And you know what? Here's the thing. You and I had the same reaction as those artisans and builders at that time. Because the artisans and builders who were told by God himself, guess what? You need to build this exactly as the blueprint I'm giving you. Oh, exactly? Can't even be off just a little bit. No, this is a holy temple of God. This is a holy tabernacle of God. It's got to be exactly as he's done it. God, I don't know if I can do that. And here's the beauty of it all. He sent his spirit. He sent his spirit so that they could accomplish their task. What does he do for us? He sent his spirit. So that we could accomplish a task. Because you know what? That whole idea of making disciples is a scary endeavor, isn't it? You and I are like, God, I don't want to mess it up. Man, if I tell people about Jesus, I I don't want to say something wrong. How many of you are worried about that? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. I'm worried about chasing them away, Jesus. I'm worried about blank, name it, whatever it is. Here's what you forget. Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I shall send my Holy Spirit and he will teach you all things. It's the Spirit of God who's going to help commission you to be able to fulfill the commission that he has given you of making disciples. Can you do it on your own? No, you can't. I agree. You can mess it up just like I would. Probably worse. That's how much confidence I have in you. Here's the thing. I have the same confidence in me. But I'm not depending upon me. See, we we look at rejection in the wrong way. It's the Spirit of God who empowers us to make disciples. If you're depending upon yourself to do it, yes, you're going to fail. But God is the one who said, I am with you always. The Spirit will be with you and he will give testimony that no man can refute. Guess what? Their rejection ends up not being a rejection of you. If they reject, it's rejecting the Spirit of God. It's not your failure. It's their rejection of him. Can you make disciples? Yes, you can. You know why? 
Because he's commanded you to. And he's promised to give you the same Holy Spirit that he gave Beaziel and Aholiab to complete the monumental task of God that needed to be done exactly as God wanted it to be done. You trust that? Or you still think, still worried about your failings? Still worried that you're going to mess it up too bad? People are going to be so irredeemed after they're done with you that they won't know where to go. Man, I have more confidence in God than I do myself. I do. I really do. And he has promised. He has promised that he is with us. He'll never forsake us. Do you think that he's going to finish the commission he's given us? Absolutely. We just need to be bold enough to walk in it. Can you do it in and of yourself? No. Not any more than they could. But with the Spirit of God with you, waiting upon him, worshiping him in spirit and truth, can you fulfill the commission that he gave you? Just like the commission that he gave Beaziel, Aholiab, Moses, the people of Israel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Stop walking in fear. Start walking in faith. Let me give you some encouragement. If somebody doesn't know Jesus, they can't get further away from Jesus no matter what you say. Think about that for just a moment. If somebody doesn't know Jesus, they can't get further away from Jesus no matter what you say. That should be a great confidence for you to be able to be bold in your proclamation in Christ. Dependent upon the Holy Spirit, not in your own strength. Bold in your proclamation of Christ. Because guess what? If they already don't know Jesus, they're already under condemnation. They can't be more condemned than they're already condemned. They're condemned. We have good news. If they listen to you, you've won won a brother or sister over in Christ. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what we're called to do? And if they don't listen to you, they're no worse off than before in the sense that they're still condemned. Right? We can talk about punishments later, but condemned is still condemned. Right? If you have a worse punishment, it's not like worse condemnation. You're still condemned. You're away from Christ. All I have is good news to share. And even better, I have the Holy Spirit to let me know that I can do this monumental, earth-shattering task correctly because God is with me. Would you stand with me? One day, someday, where we're living at, how we worship God will change because Jesus will come back and all things will be made new. Every tear will be wiped, every sorrow gone, every pain a memory. That's not our reality right now. That's not how we're worshiping God right now. That's what we look forward to 
in the new heavens and new earth. And we look forward to that time actually coming. Until then, let him find us faithful in the commission that he has called us to, to worship him now in spirit and in truth. To go out and make disciples of all nations. To share with others boldly the good news of Jesus Christ. And man, here's the thing. The glory of God will be with you when you do it. That's so cool, isn't it? You're not in this by yourselves. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus has promised us. That should be such really good news. I'm going to ask elders to come forward to pray with you for anybody, anybody. If you've been kind of holding back on your commissioned tasks that God has given us, You want boldness to be able to do it in the spirit of God. We ask you to just come forward. Let's pray with you. We're not any better. We can only do it through the spirit of God too, not through our own strength. If we do it in our own strength, we'll fail just like everybody else. But not every failure is because we have failed. They may have just rejected the spirit of God. It has nothing to do with you. Let us proclaim boldly the good news of Jesus Christ while we can, while this age is still here before it's too late. Go with the strength of God. Let's pray together. Let's worship together. God, thank you so much for this time that we have in recognizing the change that you made for the people of Israel, the change that you make for us, dear Heavenly Father, and the assurances that we have that are the same, that your glory is among your people, your spirit among your people to do the task that you have called us to do. God, help us to rest in that, dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. There are people in our lives that we need to be able to tell about Christ And doing so is so important. Help us not to be worried that we can't do it on ourselves. We never could. And it's why you have sent Jesus and you have promised us the Holy Spirit. So that we're not by ourselves. So that we can do this monumental task. And know that we're doing it not in our power but in yours. And the success and glory is all yours. We praise you dear Heavenly Father. Help us walk in this confidence anew. In Jesus name. Amen.